Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 92 of the Speaking Club podcast. We're talking all about books today, and I recently asked John Burko, ex-speaker of the UK House of Commons, what his marketing message would be for his new memoir, and he said... Order! 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 I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hi there and welcome to the show. So writing a book is on the one-day list of many public speakers and entrepreneurs, but after listening to my guest this week, you may well want to move it up your to-do list. And that's because today I'm speaking with Joanna Penn, award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling author about why speakers and entrepreneurs should consider writing a book and some tips for doing it. Joanna writes thrillers under the nom de plume of J.F. Penn, and she also writes non-fiction for authors. And she's got 30 plus books published in 84 countries and five languages. She's also a professional speaker, entrepreneur and host of the Creative Pen podcast, which has been downloaded over 3.7 million times in 219 countries. And I thought the speaking club was doing well. <laughs> got a bit of a way to go. Uh, anyway, I think it's fair to say that Joanna knows her stuff. And this episode is absolutely full of golden nuggets that apply not only to book writing, but to business and speaking as well. And I mean, Joanna is a, you know, successful entrepreneur alongside everything else. Now, before I start the interview, though, I wanted to remind you that my new webinar masterclass is now open for registration. I am going to be sharing the blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that influences, inspires and converts. And also other tips and hacks that will help you build your confidence and level up your speaking. And I know it is going to be worth your while attending. Trust me. It's free to attend, but there are limited spaces. And uh, all, everyone that does join me will be getting their own copy of the Blueprint that will make creating and remembering powerful talks much simpler. If you want to book your space and join me, then head over to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass and I'll see you there. Alrighty then, let's get our groove on. Listen up, right? We are going to be covering, me and Joanna, covering a lot of ground in a very short space of time. And I know that you are going to get so much value from listening. So wash your ears out and strap in. Joanna Penn, welcome to the Speaking Club podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Sarah. Chuffed to bits to have you on. You were brought to my attention by one of my speaking students who absolutely sang your praises. And I, having looked at your background, I was absolutely blown away by everything that you've done and everything you've achieved. And I thought you would be an amazing guest to bring onto the show to help particularly any speakers who are looking to write a book. But we'll, um, we'll come on to that. So um, you've had a fascinating journey to 
to what you do today. But the thing that I was really curious about was when you were little, (laughs) what did you want to be? I, I, and it's so funny because I, I really have very few memories of, of being a child. Um, and I think, um, a lot of people said to me that I, it's because I'm a daydreamer. I don't pay attention to things. And yeah, and it's funny because of course, you know, being, um, Gen X, most of the, there aren't many photos of Gen X kids when we were young, right? Most parents, we didn't have, we had those normal films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of the, and like the picture I love most is of me reading. And that's definitely something that has come through my life. So my mum said that when I was like, you know, would toddle into her room, you know, in the middle of the night, I would be dragging a book, not a teddy. So I think that reading has always been a huge part of my life. I'm I'm definitely an introvert. Um, I like spending time on my own. So I don't think I ever had much of an idea of what I wanted to be. But what I certainly wanted to do was always to read. Um, so yeah, and that that is a huge part of being a writer, obviously. Yeah. So so you went to funnily enough my daughter has just gone to study theology at Oxford so I was like when I saw that you'd done that so I think there is she's at Worcester College not quite the same college that you went to so you did you you went to to read theology what made you choose choose that well actually I went to Oxford to to do Arabic um but it turned out to be uh very 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 hard and so I changed to theology um so I do have a master's in theology from Oxford but it was not it was not what I went to do um but as it turns out I think you know theology is fantastic because um and I'm not of any particular religion um but you do history you do language you do um you know ethics you do psychology so it's a very broad degree and you know again I got to read a lot because you know the course is here's a list of 40 books go write an essay by the end of the week so I certainly uh, in terms of writing um, I got the academic discipline of reading and writing probably and also forming my own independent thoughts uh, you know at, at college but it was certain what's I think what's interesting out of Oxford is because of the milk ground and the recruitment that you get um, I then became a financial IT yes. consultant which has nothing to do with it whatsoever so I spent 13 years implementing accounts payable into mining companies and all these different things um, but it was only when I I finally started writing fiction that I used my degree and I still do now in that I actually <laughs> now use my theological background in my books kind of Dan Brown style thrillers yeah and so when you were in that corporate environment did you always feel that this wasn't a permanent thing and it was a sort of an interim thing or was there something that triggered you to make that switch into what well, you do today well, basically, you know, I always, definitely always wanted to be financially um, independent uh, as both a woman and, you know, just in general. I, so my first thing was pay off student loan. Um, and also I like traveling. I like, um, so I like, I wanted to have money. So going into a consulting career was, was a good thing. And I think it's very important if people listening do want, you know, whether they want to make a living as a speaker or, or as a writer, like you have to decide that you are going to be wealthy or that you're going to make money from this because that will impact so much of the choices you make um so i definitely went into a job that was going to pay well um and but that then becomes the golden handcuffs because as you climb the ladder (laughs) and they pay you more and then you know you're like oh well how am i gonna change my career at this point um so i try i ran a scuba diving business in new zealand (laughs) i did 
yeah, I did a property investment company in Australia um, and I kept going back to IT because it kept paying me. Um, but I was just miserable in the end. I got to the point of kind of crying every day at work, uh, just like, what am I doing with my life? I mean, there's money and there's money for things I just don't want to be doing. And it, there was nothing wrong ethically or bad about the work. It was fine. I was just not creative. I had hit my, you know, so early 30s when you start going, what shall I do with my life? Um, and so I started to write a book um, on career change. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll get a book deal, but maybe I'll just write this and it will change my own life. <laughs> So it was a very, I never thought I would stay doing IT for 13 years, but it paid the bills and I did it for five years. I finally gave up my job in 2011 um, and haven't gone back. <laughs> brilliant. That's brilliant. So did you kind of had, did you have things going on as a side hustle to your main uh, corporate job and sort of until that income yes. equaled or eclipsed it? Yeah. Yeah, the whole time. So the scuba diving business, I still worked um, as the day job. The property, I still worked as a day job. The writing, uh, I wrote the first book, 2006, 2007, um, and then finally left my job in 2011. So I did every, everything was a side hustle. And I think that's really important for people. Like I did all my first speaking gigs you know, on the evening or the weekend or take a day off work or whatever. And I was a contractor, so that was fine. But you do these things, especially if you want to have a decent life, <laughs> you have to do it alongside everything else. Um, so yeah, I was working super hard. Uh, but yeah, so five years, but I took a big pay cut um, the, for the, so what was it? 2011, I left my job. 2015 was when I hit six figures. My husband left his job. Um, and since then it's continued, it's gone way past what I ever earned in consulting yeah. um but i think that's really important you know you have to build it up on the side first do not leave your job and expect to make money the next day <laughs> no it's it, it is i mean I, I don't know about you certainly when i i sort of saved up a bit and left um but it, it takes a while even to find your groove and you know until you find that sweet spot i think anything anything whatever you do you you have to find that there's a bit of an evolution until you find the way things will work best for you and during that time you know your your income's up and down so I think that's really good advice for people to sort of wait until this at least you know you've got some income coming in so you're not constantly worried about security really mm. good advice. okay so the first book that you wrote was actually also the reason you started your blog I think just and and what made you want to document that journey because that's quite a bit of foresight there to do that <laughs> well it, was, it wasn't so, it wasn't really foresight it was literally <laughs> what happened was so I wrote this book um which is I rewrote later it's called career change um but the first iteration of that book um it was called uh I can't what was it called how to enjoy your job or find a new one <laughs> career changes this is a big tip for writing non-fiction books book titles are important <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I wrote that book um, and uh, I looked at the publishing industry and I was like, oh, this is going to take forever. It takes like a year to get an agent, a year to get a publisher, a year for the book to come out. I don't want to spend the next two and a half, three years dealing with that. So I was like, right, I'm going to self-publish. This was before the Kindle. This was before the iPhone and, and audio books, streaming audio. This was before it was easy. Um, and I did it anyway. I printed a whole load of books. Um, 
but in the process of writing and publishing I learned a lot and what I also learned was that I got ripped off <laughs> by various things and I was like do you know what I want to share my lessons because I don't want other people to go through the same thing um, this was also so this was 2008 I started my blog the creative pen this was before self-publishing was also acceptable so this was in the days when it you were considered when it was called kind of vanity there's still vanity publishing but this was before independent authors were like indie musicians you know now we're indie authors uh, which is quite cool you know we're like indie film yeah exactly you know we self-publishing you know was was a dirty word back then and now it's like yeah you make a lot more money this way <laughs> um, but at the time I was like okay well I just want to share my journey uh, so I started sharing my journey I started a podcast and all of that and as you say what has happened is the world has changed <laughs> and um, my site uh, is you know one of the longest running podcasts in in the niche and all of that because I've just kept on doing it for years and sharing my journey and, and this is a tip for everyone is you know share your journey um, right at the beginning it's so embarrassing to go back and look at things like my first novel like I'm writing my 18th novel right now and I, my first novel is documented and it is embarrassing as hell but <laughs> I'm so glad I did it because you realize oh my god I've come a long way you know I've come so far <laughs> you know so yeah so I didn't really know I just started to share my journey and then over time I kind of added income streams also as a speaker like I knew I wanted to make some money speaking and I knew I needed a website um, around that so that's kind of how I got started. So really um, what I'm interested in is that a lot of people have that imposter syndrome that slows them down, stops them. And I'm not getting a sense of that. It, it, it feels to me from what you've said that you don't seem to let stuff get in your way. You'll just make things happen. Have you suffered <laughs> from any sort of imposter syndrome or you just like, I'm going for it. This is what I'm going to do. And, and that, you just completely believe in it. Uh, it's a great question and it's funny because I think it depends in on the situation so I absolutely feel imposter syndrome for example um if I go so I went to Oxford University but if I go to the Oxford Literary Festival I feel like an imposter because I do not have a traditional publishing deal I have not won a literary prize although I have been nominated for a literary prize but you know there are things in different situations where I feel like an imposter or even at Oxford I felt like an imposter because I come from a working class family I don't come from money I didn't know what cutlery to use I'd never had a gin and tonic before I got to Oxford you know there were things that I'd never eaten smoked salmon you know there were things that made me feel like I was unworthy but I do have a bias for action I think um, a lot of entrepreneurial characters do and I think um, I do have that personality which is acting on the world and if, this is very if people want to write a novel this is very important you have to have a protagonist who acts upon the world no one wants to read about someone who just lets life happen to them that is <laughs> not great so you have to but also you have to change direction if it's not working for you so um you know, I part of me, that part that does feel like an imposter at the Oxford Literary Festival, would love to have a traditional publisher go, oh, well done, you. Um, you can have a deal, you can have a, a prize, whatever. But because I, in the meantime, I like traveling and spending money and having a good time, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go do my thing. And that may or may not happen. I'm not, you know, that's not one of my goals. So I think that the feeling of imposter 
comes from either setting goals that are out of reach or setting goals that might not be true to who we are or the fact that you're just not good enough yet. I mean, I feel like an imposter next to Stephen King as a writer or yes, I'm a professional speaker. I get paid to speak, but you are you know, streets ahead of me, you know, in speaking and comedy, for example. So I'm not, you know, I, we all have different levels of what we do, you know, and once, and also I've been doing this for 13 years. If you'd have, you would never have interviewed me back, back in the early days, but you're interviewing me now because I'm seen as an expert because I've been doing it for so long. I think that's the thing as well. So some people want it so quickly. Yes. And you can you can pivot like and waiting for that everything the stars to align that just doesn't happen does it you just got to take action and if it doesn't work then switch it like that seems to be what you've done you know scuba diving switch property yes well <laughs> scuba diving is a great example because i'm i love scuba diving or at least i used to in my 20s i um and so i thought yay this would be a great business but of course you have a boat and, and all the physical equipment you've got in terrible insurance the price of fuel the weather the employees and this but it was a great lesson because what i learned was i don't want to have physical things i have to insure i don't want employees i don't want to be dependent on the weather for my income <laughs> so we all have to learn these things so as you say I mean I say it's a bit like downhill skiing you know you want to go in a certain direction um but you you have to get moving before you can change um you have to you know go in one direction and then if you're standing still on skis you can't change direction so you have to be moving uh in order to to get that momentum yeah brilliant and you could probably snowplow your way to success (laughs) but that would be quite boring should be moving but you're bloody slow (laughs) excellent and was your first book a raging success I guess this is carrying on theme or did you like learn from it and then build on it well so definition of success is something very very important that very few people uh look at as to what is a success so um if I say to you that I printed 2,000 copies and 1,900 of them went in the landfill does that sound like a commercial success in any way? Um, but the fact is, so in terms of the commercial definition of success, no, that book was a dreadful failure, but it changed my life for sure because it led me, I was like, oh, I like writing books. Why don't I become a writer? Um, so it was the thing that changed my life, but very few other people's um when i rewrote it as career change in 2012 and i'm actually going to rewrite it again in 2020 and do an audiobook and so this is the other thing intellectual property assets are incredibly powerful and once you have a book that you've written once you can it can make money for the life of the author and 70 years after you die if you manage your ip correctly so that's another thing about timing what do you want success in on day one or year one or year 10 or year 50? So, and if you control your IP, you can do all of those things. So it didn't make me famous or rich, but it changed my life. So is that a success? I think so. Yeah. And it's definitely a stepping stone to success for you because you certainly built on it. So I have a question. So you write nonfiction and fiction. Mm-hmm. which of those is most satisfying to you? Uh, this is, this is a, a question that no writer can answer <laughs> because, because obviously the fact that I do both means I love both. Um, one thing, something that explains it is that I use different names. So I write 
fiction under J.F. Penn and nonfiction under Joanna Penn. And they are two different sides of my personality. So you're talking to Joanna Penn. Joanna Penn loves writing nonfiction, um, you know, and podcasting and blogging and stuff. But J.F. Penn is a different character. And this morning, J.F. Penn went to the cafe at 7 a.m. and wrote some novel, uh, you know, wrote a couple of thousand words. And it's a very different way of being. The satisfaction comes from different things. Uh, nonfiction is helping people, you know, learning things, um, multiple streams of income. Fiction is very creative. You create worlds and financially has very, very different look about it. So, yeah, I would say for you, it might be the difference between stand up comedy in a nightclub and speaking on at a CEO's, you know, keynote breakfast. Yeah. I have a, I actually have a personal question here because I so I actually write plays now. I don't do so much stand up comedy. I write so I've written one play which is published and sort of been been done in a few countries around the world. And I've got another one which I'm halfway through. But as a I, I don't know if you ever felt this struggle between the fiction and the non-fiction. So I write lots non-fiction blogs and content and hmm. whatever speeches. But I always feel like I can't spend the time on the fiction because it doesn't pay you know it will pay in the long term and obviously I get royalties from the play that I've written but did you ever feel that pull mm. and push between the non-fiction and the fiction it is a very hard dichotomy because you're right non-fiction generally you will make more money more quickly with non-fiction but this is where you have to think about that intellectual property asset thing because non-fiction ages like you have to either rewrite your nonfiction, your blog will go out of date. Like my blog, uh, over a decade old now, I'm looking at it going, oh crap. I either have to clean up this stuff, I have to do redirects, things are broken. Oh, what a nightmare. Fiction and plays, for example, and you could turn that play into a screenplay, you can turn it into an audible, you know, an audio drama, you can turn it, novelize it if you want. What fiction IP is a completely different creature, and as I said, will can earn you and your daughter potentially money after you're dead. Non fiction, if you and I do not update our non fiction, we will stop earning money from it probably within two to five years. Yeah. So, this is on the money side, you have to think about that. I think about my fiction IP as slow. I've and like talking about success, I've never had a breakout success with any of my books but I make, you know, good money from all of them in little, little segments. But yeah. fiction over your lifetime and after you die, fiction will make us more money because it doesn't age. So this is a really big deal and a huge mind shift because everyone thinks, oh, but what about right now? Speaking, you can make money right now, but that time is gone. Whereas if you write a play that can be turned into all of these other things, that will make you money, little bits of money for a longer time. Do you see? So, yes. Yeah. And also in terms of the guilt, I think often it's, well, I can help people with nonfiction. Yeah. 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 But actually, what do we do when the world and the politics are a nightmare? We reach for a story. We reach for another binge on Netflix, you know, because we want escape and escape and entertainment can change people's lives and help them sometimes far more than some prescriptive nonfiction. So yeah. does that inspire you? <laughs> it does. And, and I, I think I try also in my place to challenge people's thinking. It's a little bit provocative. So yeah, I just need to, to, to park the guilt and get right in, I think. So that, 
thank you. That was a personal question. I wasn't intending to ask. Oh, well, I'm sure a lot of people listening as creative people, you will find this. Poets, classic example. You know, I mean, would you ever expect any poetry to make you much money? But it's what it's something creative that people love. Like it doesn't have to make money. This is important. But um, so, yeah, we can't feel guilty about creating. Sure, pay the bills with whatever else you pay the bills with. But keep creating. Yeah, thank you for that. I'll, I'll take that on board personally. So thank you. <laughs> cool. Well, as I said, I found out about you from one of my speaking students who is also an author. But what? why would you advise, if you had a speaker to come to you, to write a, a nonfiction book? What would be the advantages of having that in their wheelhouse? Uh, well, first of all, I don't even know how you can be a speaker at the moment without having a book, <laughs> especially yeah. in the kind of corporate world. It's a kind of part of your, you know, the the picture on your website you know everyone has a book yeah. um if you don't then perhaps you do different kinds of speaking you know, there's all kinds of speaking obviously but i think that that's one it is ex- almost expected of a certain level of professional now so that that would be one second thing is it's very very good for you to write a book and speakers have an advantage because you know how to structure a story and of course you do story-led um, marketing but essentially the a book is a journey from first page to last page and you you it's linear it is a linear experience unless there's an anthology or something or essays but generally people you have to take people on that journey as you do with a talk um so it can help you structure your thinking um around your core topic um of course then it gives you authority in your chosen niche if it is a good example of a book uh, in your niche and then finally as i mentioned intellectual property that can make you income and obviously that is an entirely different podcast but you can either license the rights um, to a publisher you can independently publish as i do um, you can you know sell it all over the world you can sell it in multiple formats ebook print audiobook different languages you can turn it into you know whatever a game um non-fiction oh, yeah. games hugely yeah. uh, non-fiction graphic books really big new niche so there's lots of ways you can make streams of income from a what started out as a book or a talk so those are just those are just some of the reasons all good reasons i didn't even know about non-fiction graphic books i'll have to um check it out uh... yeah if you ever in i'll tell you the bookshop that has a really big section is the foils at uh, waterloo station oh right okay yeah yeah it has a massive graphic non-fiction area Oh, check it out next next time I'm there. And <laughs> I hear often people say, oh, you know, you've mentioned it. It's part of your brand in some sense, especially mm. if you're a speaker. And someone referred to it recently. I overheard them say it was like their business card. But some yeah. books are like marginally, only marginally thicker than a business card. And I would question <laughs> the value of those. It might be just me. But I mean, have you got any view on, on how long they should be, you know, to be considered a book? Or am I just being precious about it? Uh, you're being precious about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. It's because um, people want value for their time especially with non-fiction look the reason books are as thick as they are is because of the publishing industry and the way that spines are stacked on a physical shelf now if you look at literature great literature is mostly very thin uh, because this was at, at a different time in the publishing industry 
but um you know get a fixed spine on a shelf because most bookshops are stacked shelf out right whereas if your book is very thin so that kind of word count comes from publishing contracts it has absolutely nothing to do with what a reader finds valuable so a reader will so my best-selling non-fiction book is called how to make a living with your writing it's twenty-seven thousand words it is exactly as you say it's it's slender um one that you saw how to write non-fiction that's a decent chunky book that's like seven, that was yeah yeah that's like seventy thousand words because and i've got another one how to market a book that's chunky too but my best-selling book is the short one now why do you think that is well it's because the topic is how to make a living with your writing that is what people want that book title and what is in those covers it doesn't matter that it's a short book that is what they want and that audiobook sells the most and it's like two hours long um you know people want info for non-fiction they want information or entertainment sorry or inspiration generally it's not about entertainment so much for non-fiction it's usually information or inspiration and if you can do that in a short book then why wouldn't you um it's more that this publishing thing and the other thing is if you're a speaker and you want to have a nice chunky book at the back of the room then sure write your magnum opus but <laughs> to be fair you're going to make more money if you write three short books um, that address topics from a different angle and also it will work much better for book marketing so again this comes down to what what is your definition of success what do you want so if you want a traditional publishing deal yes you are going to have to write sixty thousand words at least probably probably more because that's the contract they're going to offer you whereas if you want to go independent you can do whatever the hell you like (laughs) i love that i love that and I, i think that you just mentioned there and i think this is a point to pick up so when i work with clients whether it's in speaking whether it's in content marketing you know, and it's generally a, a sort of a thing that people tell you to do is to niche down. But it sounds mm. like this also applies to book to nonfiction book writing. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for example, if you're a specialist in negotiation, so maybe you speak on negotiation and you want to write a book. Well, writing a book for C-suite executives on negotiating uh, you know, business deals is completely different to writing a negotiation book for busy mums to deal with their teenagers. And you're, so the niche that you're going to put that book in, even though your broad topic might be the same, you have to niche down as far as possible. Um, So that's why I have like 11 books now or something for authors. I don't just have one mega book um, that has everything you need to know in it. Uh, You know, you have different things um, for different audiences. Uh, So this is, you know, super important. I mean, you can do like the Miracle Morning, you know that book? Yes, he has like- Really niching down now. Yeah, he's like the Miracle Morning for writers, the Miracle Morning morning for accountants you know this time you can do that that would bore me but um you know but yes niching down absolutely the way forward and again book marketing now online is so different a bit you know like speakers like blogs podcasts I mean how many people will have a podcast on speaking or writing like the pair of us but but how do we stand out well we have our niche you know yeah no that's brilliant and so um, and it also does, I think it does make it easy to market if because you're then really sort of honing in laser focus yes. on who you're marketing to. Um, smashing. Okay, so let's say someone wants to write a book, there's a blank sheet, or maybe they shouldn't even get to that point yet. What would be the first <laughs> three things you recommend they do? Yes, yeah, so the first thing is uh, is wait and think. 
<laughs> so really, this is where you have that conversation with yourself. Okay, I'm doing negotiation. What do I need to think about? So you need to think about who the target market is. Um, you want to um, think about, uh, you know, the, the, so the topic, the target market, and your definition of success. As I said, if you want traditional book deal, you write a book proposal. You don't write the book. You write a proposal and then you submit it to agents. And then if they like it, then you write the book. Whereas if as an independent, you write the book, you put it out in the world. <laughs> um, both of these have pros and cons, but essentially you have to d decide then again, uh, if is your definition of success to make, um, you know, 500 pounds a month? Or is it to have a physical book in a physical bookstore in London, for example? So all of you have to sit down and answer all of those questions because those questions are going to determine the book you write. So that's the first thing is really to just stop and think and fill a page with all the things you want to achieve with the book and the target and the niche. Do some research on Amazon, have a look at other books that might be similar to yours um, and, and have a look. Then the next thing is really once you've got your so let's say it is um, negotiation for C-suite execs in a business deal like that gives you a very specific well that gives you a business model too because this is the other thing if your target market is C-suite execs you're never going to have a best-selling book but who cares because if you can sell that into the top 10 businesses like you know IBM and stuff like that Deloitte you're going to make a killing in speaking fees. And that's the booker's business card idea. Yeah. On the other end of the scale, if you want to help busy mums deal with teenagers, you may well sell a lot of books if you market that correctly, but you're never going to get six-figure speaking gig with C-suite executives. So this is why your definition of success is going to, sh and what you want to achieve with the book is going to shape the book itself. Once you have the topic, you can then brainstorm your table of contents. Uh, and then of course, the writing is too, we, we don't have enough time to do a lot more tips, but in terms of writing, my biggest tip is like all of you successful business people listening, like you do everything in your life, you need to schedule this. So if you're going to write a book, then, you know, schedule a two hour slot or an hour slot or 30 minutes or whatever you want to do, put it in your diary. So like this morning, I was at the cafe writing my novel for two hours. That was, that's in my diary. And tomorrow morning it's in my diary and I go and I keep the appointment with myself. And that is how you write a book. You make an appointment and you keep it with yourself and you spend that time writing, not emailing or social media. <laughs> so focus, focus and, you know, and put yourself first for this task. Yeah. Yes. If you want to achieve that goal, that's the only way you can do it. And then later on, sure, work with an editor. Or if you want to dictate those words, you can dictate them, but you still need to edit it um, to shape that material. But because the listeners are speakers, you guys understand how to shape material and create something in the world. Um, a book is just another form. Like seriously, you guys can do a talk. You can write a book. I love that. Brilliant. And and I love, there was two particular things that I really loved in the book and they would have resonated with me because one of them was about stories. But so the first thing was this chapter on how to be, how can you be original? And I think people get hung up. And again, this would apply as speakers as well. You get that, oh, it's all been done before. Mm. I've got nothing new to add to this. But I loved what you said. Hopefully you, you can sort of give your view on it, which I think is brilliant. Yes. Yeah, so... 
let's face it, there are a lot, let's stick with negotiation, right? There are lots of boring books on negotiation in the world. If all you're going to do, and this is often the problem with blogs now and why part of the reason podcasting is so big is because even just hearing our voices, we're sharing personal things far more than we ever would in a blog post, right? So people connect with people and we do not want a boring 99 tips to negotiate your next deal. Nobody cares. Like seriously, they can get that from an AI, you know, on four. It's not what people want anymore. What they want is your struggles, your emotions, your experience. You know, my experience as a, you know, Gen X woman in, you know, raised by a single mom and, and all this, you know, that's my experience. And there, you know, I share my background, my uh, fears and doubts and, and be authenticity now is is being yourself, but it is also sharing some of your mistakes. Like I said, all those books in the landfill, many people say to me, how, how can you share that story? It's such a failure. And I'm like, well, I don't see it as a failure. I see it as, yeah, at the time I was kind of devastated, but what came out of that was something new. And again, I think with with speaking we all know those times when it just doesn't work you know it falls flat and mostly or you lose people's eyes you know because they're bored out their brain because you're not sharing emotional you're just sharing tip one you know whatever that is not good enough now certainly not in you know ted and stuff like that we want emotion we want personal um so yeah it's it's, it's everything it is it is everything and it's also why we can or you could you can write a book on writing a book if you want. I, I do have a book on speaking. Yes. Our books on speaking are completely different because yes. we might give the same tips, but our experience is different. And absolutely. And I, I've been struggling, I'll be completely honest, struggling with this. I get loads of people coming wanting to come on my podcast. Oh yes. And I'm like and I sort of a speaking coach. And I'm like for me, it's like, why, why, why would I do that? And I'm struggling with my own sort of abundance stuff here because I do prescribe to my own clients, you know, it's horses for courses. I'll attract some people and put off some people. And so I, it's, it is that there's that struggle, um, that mindset struggle that I think we all go through. But I think you're right. Your take on the world is unique. Mm. And I think the second point that you made was about telling personal stories and no one's lived your life. No one can see through your eyes except you. And I think those are really valid points. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and the other thing that comes up with nonfiction books is, oh, I can't write on this topic because there are so many books on this topic. Mm. Well, <laughs> it's called book marketing. Okay. Someone who buys your book on speaking is more likely to buy my book on speaking because readers like me, you know, uh, mm. you end up buying like a ton of books on the same topic. And in fact, whatever topic you want to write a book on, you should buy a whole load of books on not to copy anyone or model anyone, but just to learn what else is going on in your niche and then you can target those authors for book marketing yay <laughs> yeah, exactly. I heard a great analogy about this the other day um in the record industry bands don't get all like this you know because we we don't just buy one cd we yes. buy lots of different bands but we for some reason in in this side of the coin we get all hung up on this and I I know from my own experience that I I have but you yeah, know that's really useful okay so let's say, well, the next thing I wanted to sort of pick your brains on, let's say that someone has written a book because they may well have already done that bit. Marketing-wise, when you launch a book, could you give some tips on that, on perhaps what the top three things are to think about or do when you're, when you're launching your book? 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to challenge this, actually, um, because this comes back to your definition of success. So the book launch hype comes from, again, traditional publishing, where a publisher has, if you think of a pub publishing as like this um, conveyor belt, all the, they, they design their publishing schedule and there's lots and lots of other authors. It's not just you. So basically they might put your book out this month and next month there's another book. Um, and so you get energy for the month that your book is around. Maybe it goes in bookshops, maybe it doesn't, but you get some marketing energy from the publisher for that month, literally that month. Um, uh, but generally, it's mar marketing is up to you anyway. So the reason launch is so important in traditional publishing is that's when you get the energy. So that's when they expect the sales and things like bestseller lists can be calculated on number of books sold that week. It is a game. I've played the game. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it can be done. But I actually hit the USA Today list for the second time with a book that had been out five years. Wow. So this is the very, well, just because I wanted to play the game and I know how to do it. And this is the thing, book marketing, when you are an independent author, let's say, you know, as, as I am, when you have control, is you are not like I, I had, I've got some books coming out tomorrow. Am I bothered? No. Um, I, I know that my plan for those books is three to five years. So my marketing is not urgent. The thing that's urgent is getting all everything in the right places and linking and having all my affiliate links and stuff. And then it is, yes, sending out an email um, to my email list, talking about it on my podcast, but generally spike you have to think about spike promotions which are i want to hit a list or i want to go up the amazon charts or whatever that's one way um the other thing is longevity so you and i again people might be listening to this in years yes. time so this is november 2019 someone is likely to be listening to this in years to come so if someone buys one of our books out of the back of this podcast in two years time great fantastic you know but that's nothing to do with a book launch and it's still just as valid so the biz you have to when it comes to your book again i'm just putting questions in people's minds yeah. what is your definition of success and for me it is never to make x amount of money in launch week it's more about okay how does this feed into my ecosystem my multiple streams of income i will promote this in six months time when it's got good reviews on it for example it's much much easier to get promotions if you have reviews and you don't have that on launch you know what if you're gonna like i notice you don't have audiobooks of of your books like i do but i just i have i have them as lead magnets so i don't oh okay well they're not on amazon so you i will ne i will never listen to that then because i shop on audible for audiobooks so you know that might be something for you a business tip i would give you is put it on audible there's no problem you can give away the books that you also have as um Aww. that you also sell no problem with that if you own the rights yeah. so this is the thing all of the so many people do audiobooks later than the ebook or the print so maybe once the audiobook's out you do another promotion so <laughs> i know i've said a lot of stuff but i just no, want people oh good well i want people there's to no, think there's no one size fits all is basically what you're saying you've got to put yes. your self and your ambitions and your plans first together to work out what's best for you and that's yeah that's and also for speakers let's face it as a speaker you may make you in fact there are lots of speakers who sell hundreds of thousands of books every year from the back of the room and they are never on any bestseller list because that's not how they sell the books you know maybe they speak at a conference and they sell a thousand books as part of their speaker package those are not counted on anybody's list but what is your definition of success 
you know, you've just got a business business card in a load of people's hands and maybe it's chock full of affiliate links. Maybe you know that each of those books is going to make you $200 and you've just given them away. So this is what I want you to think. It's not some precious object that happens in one way. It is a tool of business. It is a creative thing that you put into the world, but it, it can be all of these things and much more. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. That's really, I'm sure that's got people's heads buzzing. It's got mine buzzing. <laughs> it's my pet talk. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get, have to get the books on Audible. Um, <laughs> right. Um, cool. Okay. Now I've got, before I let you go in, and I'm going to talk to you about how people can find your things uh, in a little bit. Before I do that, what's the best thing, because this is the speaking uh, club, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Oh, well, speaking was one of my biggest income streams when I left my job. So when I said nowadays I do scalable work, back when I left my job, I did a lot of speaking because I knew I could speak, invoice, get money. So definitely speaking has been um, income for me. Uh, it Now it is uh, my entire function for speaking is tax deductible travel. <laughs> so basically I will say yes to a talk if it's somewhere I want to travel to. <laughs> you know, and that's a perfectly valid reason to speak. Um, like I'm speaking in Nashville next year in the US and I only said yes because I want to go to Nashville. Um, so that and that's completely valid at this point in my business career, right? Um, it also definitely helped me shape my um, shape my ideas into words. So, for example, the book that's just coming out next month, Productivity for Authors, actually is a um, like a lecture series that I did as a course first. And then I took the transcript of the course and I turned that into a book. So most of my stuff goes book to course or book to talk. So like I'm speaking in Nashville on how to make a living with your writing, which is one of my you know popular talks. Um, and also I do whole weekends, for example, on that type of thing. Um, but yeah, productivity went the other way. It went from talk to book. And that is a good tip for all you people listening, because you probably have a ton of those uh, that you have. Cool. Um, I, I always say speaking is a vehicle for your message, but it is also now a vehicle for your holiday plans as well. <laughs> I love that. Cool. And um, when you were speaking, have you ever had a, a worst gig? Did you had a? I was asked this to people. I like to know the best thing speaking's done, but also if there's been that terrible gig that you you remember. Or have they all gone perfectly? Oh, uh, no, obviously they have not all gone perfectly. Um, but I think, again, this is, I am, maybe you can tell, but I'm, I'm pretty happy person, like happy, positive. Although if you read some of my thrillers, you might not think so. <laughs> but um, my, um, when we say bad, I mean, some of the talks I've given that I have felt were the worst like I just didn't do well I didn't say the right thing nothing no one seemed to like what I said and I you know you look around an audience and the face they're like eyes are looking at you in this way and you're like oh my goodness nothing I am saying is landing properly and then you so you think it's really bad and then afterwards you get emails from people saying oh I really loved your talk you've changed my life it was brilliant I'm gonna you know recommend you and you're like how what the hell what just happened so this is a lesson and this is a lesson for books as well you do not know how your message will land like you almost have to have this trust and again it's not even a spiritual thing it's just a trust in the universe that if you do what you do authentically 
someone will get something from it, which is why I love podcasting, right? You and I just having a natural conversation about stuff that interests us. And some people will have turned off by now and those people still here, hopefully have found it useful. And that's awesome. So I haven't really, I've had so many bad experiences, but they didn't turn out bad later when I discovered that they were helpful. So does, does that make sense? Absolutely. And this is something, a point that I make to to clients, speaking coaching clients, is that you can't second guess. As soon as you start second guessing what the audience is thinking, you are then not present to to delivering the message. So you have to just, like you said, you have to trust and let go. And also, I think there's an NLP thing here that rings true, which is like the intention of the communication is the response that you'll get. Yes. And as long as your intentions are you know, if you're there to make yourself look good or whatever, or, you know, if it's about you, then that's probably not going to be the best thing. But I think that you're, you're totally right there. And because I'm a writer and I write everything, I, when I do speak, I will beforehand, you know, we all have our rituals. I write out my intentions and it's always thank you that I am useful today and thank you that I help people and thank you you know like again you're a bit university um I'm all into that yeah yeah just like and I was right thank you that the tech goes well but then I also take action on that for example I never use multimedia in my slides because we've all had the multimedia issue so you know you can help the universe by not (laughs) by being prepared but also as you say intention is everything and the same with our books. If you can have an intention to serve, um, then, you know, your books will go out there and who knows how, you know, what will happen. I love the universal stuff. Um, okay, right. Um, what's the best book you've ever read and why? Oh, you can't ask someone like me that because again, like if I'm into a topic it's you know, I will read like 40 books on that topic and then I've moved on. Um, so uh, I'm going to say... I can't, I can't, I can't pick one. <laughs> too, 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 too many to choose. Yes. We'll pick one of yours. The one for this t- topic is called how to write nonfiction. That's probably the most useful for this audience. How to write nonfiction. Probably. Or public speaking for introverts. Uh, that yes. is my other one. <laughs> public speaking for introverts, how to write nonfiction, and also go and check out the other, the, the fictional books as well. Okay, right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever had and why? Oh, again, all from books, um, but probably it is decide what you want and what is your definition of success. And the book, I do, can recommend another book here, Jack Canfield, The Success Principles. Oh, right, yeah. That was one of the books I read when it came out over a decade ago. Um, and that says, uh, and the tagline is something like uh, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And the biggest question is, where do you want to be? <laughs> because everyone knows where they are right now but if you don't decide where you want to be with your business like I said the mistakes I've made um you know over property and scuba diving I came up with I want a business that's you know scalable that's location independent where I don't have to have any employees where I can make unlimited money uh where I can be creative and I have created that life so cool fantastic your design of your life that's brilliant and okay um last question if you could have one mentor, they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Uh, f- uh, probably for my fiction, um, I, I would love to have a conversation with Stephen King. Um, he really is uh, a creative 
genius in so many ways and luckily now starting to be recognized in his lifetime as a, a wonderful author you know in the past he was kind of vilified as just horror writer but he's far more than that and so that would probably be my creative um side and then my business side would probably have to be jeff bezos in all of his glory oh, yeah. ceo of amazon um and whatever we want to think about amazon and and jeff the guy is the definition of focused and entrepreneurial and you know keeps reinventing the world his world our world all the time and also he's the reason that most independent authors uh ha have a living because you know i distribute on amazon there's lots of other companies but they really started it with the introduction of the kindle uh back a decade ago now so yeah there you go brilliant six degrees of separation if anyone's listening <laughs> or jeff bezos uh put them in touch with joanna which is fantastic it's a, nice, a nice segue into if people want to find out more about you to buy a book or read a book or join a course where's the best place for them to go so uh i have a, a podcast actually yeah yes well i was going to say the best place is if you're interested in writing publishing book marketing making a living with your writing then come over to the creative pen podcast pen with a double n um and of course my website the creative pen with a double n twitter surprisingly the creative pen um and if you like books and travel i have another podcast books and travel podcast um so obviously everyone's listening all most of my books are in uh bio and i narrated quite a few of them so um if you love audio which you guys do <laughs> check that out <laughs> absolutely so is that creativepen.com yes yes creativepen.com creativepen podcast and all are you on instagram as well or i am on instagram as my fictional self jf pen author excellent okay good well i'll put those links in the show notes as well well, I want to say thank you so much for giving me your time. I know how busy you are and I really appreciate it. There's some fantastic tips that you shared with the you know, listeners and also with me. I shall take them on board. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joanna. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. This has been great. That was aces. I love talking to Joanna. I got a lot of stuff from it. She's so successful and yet really humble with it. Uh, great person. Love, love that. Make sure you go and check out her stuff at thecreativepen.com, that's double N, and links to that are also in the show notes. It'd also be great if you went along and said thanks very much to Joanna. If you got stuff out of it, you can get her on social media at The Creative Pen. Uh, also links to that in the show notes and links to her books as well. Since we're talking about books, I thought I'd plug mine as well. Um, I've put links to it in the show notes, but uh, my book on speaking is called Cracking Speechmate. How to Use Humour to Make Yourself an Amazing Speaker. And you can pick up a paper copy at crackingspeechmate.com and the ebook is over at Amazon. If you buy a paper copy from crackingspeechmate.com, I will also send you an MP3 copy of the audio version for free. Can't say fairer than that. Remember, if you want to open the show with a joke that you've heard or you've come up with, and it's got to be clean, then head over to thespeakingclub.com. As ever, thank you so much for listening. Finally, don't forget to leave a rating or review if you enjoy the show and subscribe if you want more. I'll be really grateful. That's it. Have a wonderful rest of the week. And don't forget, go out, grab your life by the nuts, and this time, get writing. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.